Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you're a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of Common Skew and Right Sleeve. Today, I'm joined by Danny Rosen, President of Brand Fuel Promotions, Charity Gibson, President of Green Banana Promotions, and Jim Franklin, VP Sales and Marketing at Inkhead. And we've got a very special episode planned for you today. On December 5th, there was an interesting article that was written in TechCrunch, TechCrunch.com, Zazzle Buys Boundless Network as it battles Teespring for democratized e-commerce. On December 4th, there was a promogram that came out in ASI that advertised this information as well. And what we wanted to do today is assemble a group of people that could talk a little bit about what this acquisition means for the industry and the impact it'll have on the people that are suppliers, distributors, and end users. And I will say that Charity Gibson, not only is she president of Green Banana Promotions, but she is also a boundless sales rep and will be able to comment, I think, on some of this from an insider perspective. So Charity, why don't we start off with you? Do you want to talk a little bit more about this acquisition and what it means for you? Absolutely. And I guess I should start out by saying we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We've been given some information and definitely it was kept under wraps just because that's the way of the world when big acquisitions happen. Also want to kind of disclaim that our company is an affiliate, so we're affiliated with Boundless. We're not actually sales reps for Boundless. I don't know that that makes a huge difference. And that my opinions in this conversation are totally my own. So I'm not disclosing anything that's, you know, coming down to your emails or anything that's confidential, anything like that. Personal opinion is that it's no big secret that, and I feel personally this way, that the promotional products industry is always late to the party. By the time we show up, you know, we've got our red solo cups and the, the band is gone and the beer is warm kind of a thing. So I am personally really excited for something like this to happen. I know that people have differing views and things like that, but if you look at the trends in the marketplace and millennials coming into buying positions, I find that this is huge. If we have access to the variable data platform and different things like that, I think it could be revolutionary. And one of my favorite books from a few years ago is John Potter's Our Iceberg is Melting, and it talks about, it's a story about penguins, but it talks about the changing environment and how if you don't make these changes, you're not going to survive. And so I think this is a huge opportunity for the promotional products industry to kind of adapt or die kind of a thing. So I know people have different opinions on that. Not everybody's going to see it as a positive, but my initial gut reaction is that this is a huge positive shift for our industry. Jim, with your experience at Inkhead, of course, being one of the leading e-commerce retailers in the industry, what's your perspective on this? I, um, I find it, like Charity does, quite fascinating. I think that just from a pure numbers game perspective, if you look at some of the data that's available out there, Zazzle states publicly that they have as many as 25 million visitors that come to their website a month, mm. not a year, a month. That's more than probably any distributor in the traditional or online model have that comes to their sites in a year. Mm. So just that one stat with numbers is staggering to think that in a B2C market, you have that kind of activity, and it makes you think of, okay, what's the conversion rate 
Right. And then after you look at what the conversion rate is, then you start playing the numbers game. And if the conversion rate's even two or two and a half percent, you know, what if 10% of that traffic that is converted is also interested in buying promotional merchandise or decorated apparel and a little bit larger on-demand quantity numbers? What does that mean? And what it means, I think, is a tremendous, tremendous integrated opportunity for the boundless reps at that point. Yeah. Charity, do you, in taking a look at Zazzle, and the, and for those people listening on the call that aren't familiar with the platform, I mean, it's primarily a B2C platform. You can go on, and if you're looking to purchase ones and twos, you can go and purchase small quantities of product and have it shipped to you. It's primarily and overwhelmingly been a B2C play up until now. How do you see this impacting your business as a B2B salesperson in the promotional products industry? You know, I think it has potential to go a number of different ways. I think going back to how this has looked or has been approached in the industry before, like Cafe Press, for example, would be a good model to go off of. I think there was amazing potential there, but it all is going to depend. The Zazzle Boundless merger is definitely going to depend on execution, completely and wholly on execution. Yeah. And I know for certain the type of clients that we work with, we work with a lot of tech startups, and you've got a lot of 25 to 40-year-old people in buying positions, and they occasionally just want the one piece, or they want personalization on some of their items. And we have to unfortunately say, I'm sorry, you're limited to a one-color, one-location imprint. And, oh, I'm sorry, no, you can't put names on that. And so I think that in addition to the traditional model, I don't think that that necessarily is going anywhere anytime soon. Right. But if anything, it's going to give us the ability to capture and close even more business. I'm not saying that the, you know, the ones and twos, I think it actually has the potential to drive volume sales, you know, whether on demand or not, or if the, even if the production gets taken out a little bit further than you know, right away kind of a thing. If we still have to have our normal 7 to 10 day production times and ship times, what have you, just to have the capability of a full-color imprint in a lot of cases, or the personalization option. I think that's just what the marketplace is demanding. And to be able to find that, offer that up as an industry, it's something that should have been done a long time ago. And I don't think that this is, you know, they, they obviously were the first people to the table to make it a feasible option for us. But I think that, personally, I feel like maybe this is the way the industry was kind of headed anyway. So if it right. wasn't boundless, then, then who? It was just a matter of time before the, I mean, it's a supply and demand. That, that's yeah. the economy. It's a supply and demand. And people, the people that we are selling to are demanding new products. They're demanding retail-inspired products. They're, yeah. The demand is there, and our industry has just been slow to capitalize on that. Yeah, I'm going to throw this question out to really anyone who feels like they can answer it, but Zazzle, I remember, came to the PPAI National Leadership Conference a couple of years ago. It was a minimum two years ago, three years ago. It was that same conference that Jim, you, me, and Bobby were on that panel, remember? And I remember Zazzle had made a big play in terms of pitching their platform, I think primarily to suppliers, if I remember correctly. And then we never heard anything else from them, as though either they got disinterested or they just went away. Do any of you have any opinions as to why Zazzle or even Cafe Press even before it kind of fizzled when they tried to come into the traditional promotional products industry? And is there anything different about why they'll be successful now? Well, you know, I'm going to play a little bit off to answer that off of what Charity talked about. And Cafe Press also approached us. We've actually talked to them on numerous occasions. And the whole key to this acquisition working, I believe, between Zazzle and Boundless is definitely going to be you know, can the Chiefs have enough Indians doing the footwork? And I don't mean that in any derogatory sense, but 
or is there going to be enough people doing the footwork? Are you going to have a, a bunch of leaders that are entrepreneurial in the way they think, trying to do what normal people would do that would report to those leaders? And I think Cafe Press is a great example of where their idea didn't work so great. And that's just my opinion because you had all these intelligent minds that built their own businesses that were acquired and got the money they wanted to sell their businesses, agreed to stay on and work and stuff like that. But you had a whole bunch of people who wanted to be the leader, and there were very, very few followers. And it resulted, in our observation, a tremendous amount of dysfunction. I mean, if you look at their stock price now right. versus a few years ago, I mean, I forwarded that to Danny the other day. is all the way down to $2.07. Yeah, amazing. You know, when they were approaching us, they were they were in between 6 and $8 telling us how by the end of 2014 they were going to be at 14 to $15. Right, right. And that obviously did not happen. So it's, you know, planning your plan and working your plan is, I would imagine in this latest acquisition with Boundless and Zazzle, I think the devil's in the details. And I really do believe it's that important. I think that is going to make or break the deal. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to add to that. I think something that, at least as far as my knowledge goes, some of the, like you said, the devil in the details, the Zazzle acquiring Boundless, you figure there is a huge knowledge base that Zazzle has acquired with that. It's not like Cafe Press or even ThinkGeek, as much as those are two very successful companies outside of the promotional products industry. I mean, ThinkGeek is just huge. Having those types of companies, and even Skin It, when you have these companies that are, hey, I want to start branding promotional products and selling B2B, it's one thing to acquire somebody that's already doing it well or very well. It's a totally separate thing to say, hey, we're going to start a promotional products division. I mean, again, no big secret. Our industry is a huge, hairy animal. There are so many caveats and ways to write purchase orders and systems and processes. And even as a 12-year veteran in this industry, there are still things that I learn on a daily basis that affect how I do my job and help me to do it better than you know last year, better than yesterday certain things that come up, not that it even changes a whole lot, just that there are so many different variables that if you don't have an intricate working knowledge of those different variables and what could possibly go right and what could possibly go wrong, you're going to run into problems. And I think that at some level is going to definitely impact the either success or failure of these particular companies. And then the other part of that is Cafe Press came in as a supplier. And Think Geek came in as a supplier. Skin It came in as a supplier. Zazzle acquired a distributor. And I think that might be also another determining factor to whether or not, you know, this thing either soars or falls. So just to kind of throw that out there, there's a lot of detail that goes into what we do, and that's no, you know, no secret yeah. at all. Mastering that and having, you know, it's different to build something from the ground up or to integrate something that's already successful. Yeah, so, that's, a, that's a great point. Is there any similarity between this and Bell Promo's acquisition of Branders.com? Is there anything that we can learn? Outside money can make a lot of things happen. Yeah. And that's the most common thing that glares at me is you got a lot of venture capital money in both situations that that's the first thing I think of. Right, but more specifically, Jim, I don't know when Bell acquired Branders, but it was at least a year ago, maybe even two years ago. Have you, from your perspective, Jim, on the e-commerce side, have you seen any significant change or impact from that acquisition in terms of like lost business or like clients of yours that are now starting to go to that combined entity because of some unique value proposition, or is it sort of like business as usual? For us, I think the honest answer to that is there's two answers. I mean, we we will grow 24% this year, 
And so we're, we're having a record year, but then again, we believe we have learned through observation of companies like Bell USA and like 4imprint right. and some others that we have studied. The one thing about the online world is if you're willing to spend money to get information, you can get it. Right. And you can learn from that, and then you can apply that to what you're trying to do in your e-commerce strategies. And yeah. all of those, you know, there's probably 10 or 20 relevant online providers. Well, there's more than that, but, I mean, it's there's a much more limited number of relevant online providers than there are relevant brick-and-mortar distributors. Sure, and sure. The, and the one thing they all have in common is they all spend for PPC. They all have some sort of a very comprehensive marketing spend. Right. And so the only thing that you're going to see happen as a result of, like, that acquisition is I think you're going to see, just like with the boundless Azzle, you're going to see more online acquisitions occur. Yep. I think it's going to be harder to become relevant online. I think yep. there's going to be 50 to 100 players that revolve around over time that remain fairly relevant online. Yep. And outside of that, it's going to be hard to crack that top 50 online because of the cost and the time required to get that relevancy. It's just not something that you can wish upon a star to happen overnight. It just it doesn't right. work that way. Right. Jim, two questions for you. I know you're a guy who's quick with stats. What percentage of the promotional products industry right now is online versus brick and mortar? It's probably approaching 25%. Okay. You know, we believe that's what it's approaching. You know, if numbers keep going the way they are, and it's just based on data that's out there, not opinion, based on reality, by the end of 2020, the playing field should be fairly level. However, you know, I've kind of mellowed and been humbled over the, I mean, I, I came from the brick and mortar side. And was everyone on the call today at the leadership conference this year, NALC? Yeah. I thought the content was amazing, and I thought the Harvard professors using terms like transactional promotional product sales versus traditional, and then all of a sudden they brought the term hybrid up. Yeah, you know, we believe ultimately that's the key to the future of the industry is is exactly that this hybrid model. Yeah, that will evolve. It will be some sort of a combination of online presence as well as traditional and maybe some sort of new cutting edge, whether it's integrating a B2C or whatever the trend or whatever the roll-up winds up being over the next five years. Right. The reason I ask you that question is that, so so let's say the figure is 20%. Okay, I'll just, we'll just use that as, a, as, as an approximation. If you think about what Amazon has done to the book industry alone, Amazon certainly controls way more than 20% of the global book market. So my question for you, and I'm interested in really anyone who's got a perspective on this, is do you see a time in the future, I don't know when, near future, distant future, where traditional distributors that are agency-based or the ones that go and do like the traditional B2B spend are going to be completely put out of business by these online players? Is online going to be the way people buy promotional products, similar to how I buy a plane ticket to New York City right now? I, I do that on online. As I would somebody, never ever call somebody who's done both. You know, I've, I've been on the other. I've been on the brick and mortar side 25 years. I've been online now for a little over six. And what my belief is, there will always the answer. The short answer is absolutely not. It will be a shrinking market. Yep. But there will always be a need for the traditional sale. And you mentioned Amazon. Before I forget this, this is very, very important. 
you know, of, of the whatever there is between twenty-five and thirty thousand distributors, depending upon who you talk to. I wonder how many of those distributors actually know if some of the clients they're selling to are Amazon-based companies. I can tell you that hundreds of the companies we sell to are, possibly thousands. They'll buy product from us for the sole purpose so that they can sell it on their Amazon account. To speak to that point, the way that my company has evolved over the last year has been interesting at best, but Green Banana Promos has actually converted to a full-service marketing agency. We do all the creative. We do websites. We do video. Now we're doing product photography, event representation, and then we actually created a separate entity for our promotional products, which is the part that's affiliated with Boundless, and that's called Swag on Demand. And we're kind of still in development with that, but it's basically swag at the speed of life is what we're, we're kind of calling it. And so when you hit even our landing page, it's like, how do you want to buy your swag today? The very first thing you can do is log into Portal, and that's a feature that is specific to Boundless Network. It's a branded portal that each client gets when they sign up for an account with us. And then there is our Shop the Mega Store, and you, there's hashtags under everything, instant gratification. You want to shop that 800,000 items? Fantastic. Then you're going to hit the Mega Store for instant gratification. It's full e-commerce. It's actually through Sage. You can, you know, shop whatever you want online, hit buy now, it goes through. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to worry about it, whatever. And then we have also our swag builder, which is you want to go design your own T-shirts, like a custom-made Teespring, what have you, then fine. You know what? Go jump on T-Builder and create your own custom Converse, your own custom T-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever you want. There's a whole catalog. You go play. And then there's the contact me button. Hey, I don't have time for this, but I need to order promotional products. Somebody call me, text me, email me. I need your services, but you contact me kind of a thing. So however somebody wants to be communicated with, we've opened that up because we realized it's not even multi-generational anymore. It's just multi-comfortational. Like people, right. even people in older generations, they're getting pretty internet savvy and they want to, you know, not have to hassle with a person because let's face it, some of these phone menus are ridiculous. You know, it's hard to get a person. When you do get a person, they don't return phone calls or whatever. You know, it's just people want different things different ways. There's still, I know it drives you crazy, Mark, but there's still people in the industry that want a tactile catalog. And I'm one of those people that occasionally, if I know what I want, I'll go straight to a website to find it. But if I don't know what I want, I enjoy flipping through paper catalogs, which is, you know, silly for a 33-year-old, you know, kind of technology-driven girl, that that's the way it is. And I think that I agree with Jim. It's never going to go completely away because just yeah. like, you know, you still have people that want to go shopping. You still have people that want to walk through the store and browse the aisles. A lot of it is leisure. It's a lot of stress relief. It's a lot of just lifestyle playing into how we do everything in our lives. And I don't think buying swag or promotional products is any different. So, you know, however they want it, we have to be able to provide that as an industry. And along those same lines, I think for so long we have lagged so far behind. I mean, there are very few, I think Inkhead, Jim, when I met you originally, I'm just fascinated by your business model because you have a true e-commerce platform, which is so difficult to find in the promotional products industry. You know, people buy and we have to, like, wait for the order to ship and then wait for UPS to invoice, and then they get their bills, you know, 15 days later and it's not relevant anymore, where if we train our clients differently, we train them with the Amazon or the Zazzle model where, hey, you buy your product, you shop for it, you pay us up front, and we, your instant gratification is that email saying, hey, we owe you something for the money that you just gave us. Yeah. And then they get their stuff two weeks later. Now we've eliminated cash flow problems from the industry. You know, everybody can do more, be more, produce more, have better websites, all of this stuff. But we are, as an industry, I believe, keeping ourselves in 1987. You know, there's just not a whole lot of innovation. So from um, this kind of standpoint, I can see definitely forcing the industry into the future, or at least into, like, 2003. 
Well, and so I, got, I had to throw a couple ideas out because it's just, A, it's just, it's so fascinating, you know. What excited us, I don't mind telling you, when we originally talked to Cafe Press, and the good news is I think we all came to the conclusion, we certainly did, that they were not a good fit for us, and, and they obviously made the decision that people in our space weren't a good fit for them. But the exciting part of it is what it caused us to do is really look at our model and realize we can't be one-dimensional either. So, I mean, you talk about the online models versus the brick-and-mortar models, the halos or the Geigers, et cetera, et cetera. But we have chosen to start a business development division. We'll have five people in it, fully staffed and full-time in 2015. We have three right now, and that is to mine our own data. But we are doing that through technology and through inside sales, whereas someone like a Motivators or an ePromos could decide to open up an office somewhere and fill that office with employees to work that region that they choose to open up that office in. And we haven't taken that step yet. We have not leveraged fully what can be done with the data we have, just mining it with a business development inside SWAT team of, of sales professionals. Right. So that, that's one aspect. But consider this, and this was back in 2012 and, and towards the end to be specific. In 2012, and, and Cafe Press is public, so this is pretty easy to research if you want to, the average order that Cafe Press did at the time back then was around $52. The number of transactions they did in the second quarter that year were 888,000 transactions in Q2. So if you were to multiply that by four, they were on pace to do over 3.5 million orders in fiscal year 2012 B2C with an average order of around $52. What I can't help but thinking about as a, you know, playing the numbers game gorilla selling maniac is what if half of 1%, just half of 1% of the clients who actually ordered from Cafe Press were interested in, in placing minimum on-demand orders off of an Inkhead platform, for instance, if a link were to come back from Cafe Press to Inkhead or to whoever they were talking to, whoever the online provider was. What would that mean? I can tell you what that will mean. It's just one half of 1% within your top 2% distributor's dollar volume from one location, the revenue would more than double in one year from that one statistic yep. alone. Yep. Wow. wow. Danny, AI. how does this make you feel? Yeah, well, I'm I'm just I'm knocked down smiling, but I also have like the the top part of my head is confused, the bottom part of my face is smiling. <laughs> it's exhilarating to talk about all the things that are going on and will go on and continue to evolve in our industry. Jim, those stats are are really eye-opening. They really are. I wanted to shift gears a little bit though and, and because I think we're talking about a lot of the sort of distributor although the distributor supplier morphing thing that's going on right now a bit. I want to focus on suppliers for a second. We all know that Bell Promos in our industry is a supplier. A lot of distributors use them, but they're also focused selling directly to the end user through a dot-com called Discount Mugs, and they sell a lot more than mugs. So I just want to ask all of you guys, are you seeing suppliers create more of a retail presence for one-offs and and maybe smaller runs, they might stumble upon a big order. And again, breaking down sort of the traditional process and channel that, that we've developed through the years. Are you guys seeing that at all? I wish we were. <laughs> I 
I don't know. And, and it's funny because, like Jim was saying, you know, the smaller ticket, I mean, you are, your average order size goes way down, but I think it's kind of like that gateway drug, that one personalized item for me. I mean, that's what spec samples have always been for me. I'm able to spend a little bit of money and pitch some of these really amazing items to my bigger clients, and that leads to the bigger orders. So I see a huge opportunity there if more suppliers were able to take advantage of that. I think I just heard recently, I had a visit from my Primeline rep, and he said, hey, Primeline's able to do, you know, there's no minimums. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, no minimums? Some of the, like, I love that. And I think, again, going back to my late to the party thing, I think that that is something that's really awesome to be able to offer because I don't know that I necessarily want to sell. And a lot of that falls in the hands of the distributor. How are we going to sell and what are we going to sell? If we market small, you know, hey, we can print small orders. Small orders, of course, our average ticket size is going to change because we are selling what we sell. If we sell, hey, these really big orders, but, hey, occasionally we can do a gift or I'm going to do, you know, a special, you know, whatever, just some sort of special piece. Some of my biggest clients occasionally come to me and want to do one ping pong paddle or one, you know, this, and I have to say, no, I'm sorry, go to or go to whatever, and then they right. can eventually get it there. And I think this opens up a huge opportunity for us to be able to service all the level of needs that our different clients have, and it's going to be up to the distributor. It's going to be in my hands to sell what I sell and how I sell it, just like it is now. You know, these distributors that maybe don't have these bigger tech. I think actually I called Danny a few years ago. I'm like, I'm having problems. Like, we're just, we have so many small clients, and he's like, okay, we'll change your average ticket size. Say you don't accept orders under $1,000, like $1,000 minimum. Like, I can't do that. I'm going to lose so many orders. But at the same time, Laura Brandenburg McKinney, she had said, she's like, Charity, you've always known this, and I've known this because I came from a medical sales, you know, selling to hospitals before, and I never had chased squirrels. And she's like, would you quit chasing squirrels if you want to get the elephants? They go chase the elephants. They're going to take a little longer to get, but you know as well as I do, they're more worth the fight. So I think that this is definitely a game changer. It's definitely kind of like anything. It's going to be what you make of it. If you capitalize on the opportunity, you're an opportunist, you go after it and use it to your benefit. This, well, at least for me, because I'm boundless. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it can be, it can be huge. And even for the industry on a whole, obviously this is, this is something that, you know, it might be something to chase after. And if this is truly ends up being something that's amazing, it's not going to take long. I can't even say that, but that's the way it goes. You know, you always got copycat business models and different things like that that are going to pop up and things are going to change and hopefully adapt to a new way of doing business. And it can be beneficial for everybody if they embrace it and use it and leverage what we have, these new tools, correctly. I think Charity just nailed it. You know, the short answer to your question, Danny, is absolutely supplier websites are 100% more retail-esque looking now and functional now than they were even five years ago. And I think the second thing that we haven't touched on is don't underestimate Dazzle remembers a few years ago when they were at NALC, they called a private meeting with suppliers, not distributors. And they made it perfectly clear to some of those suppliers they wanted them to be a supplier of Zazzle until they didn't need them anymore, meaning they would get to a place where they were going to be getting all the items they were currently going to be buying from suppliers on their own. So I think that's one huge aspect of what Custom Inc., Cafe Press, and Zazzle do. They use the supply chain much like discount mug does, and they fill their holes in on the products they're not manufacturing and buying themselves or importing themselves and surround that with suppliers with strategic alliances until it becomes painful enough where they decide they want to do that on their own as well. I, I think that's going to become a huge, that's going to be, I think, part of this, uh, I don't want to call it a roll-up, but it's going to be part of the game-changing aspect of it where all of a sudden, the poly concepts and your top 40 supply chain partners can assume 
that some of the stuff that they're selling to Boundless, for instance, or as some of these other acquisitions unfold, are going to be purchased at business as usual like they are today. They may be competing with whoever's doing the acquiring. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Zazzle is significantly larger than Boundless, so I'm sure that whoever does vendor relations at Zazzle is now going to be the one who's going to be calling the shots with Polyconcept. I mean, that's just an assumption. But I think what's also interesting to think about with Zazzle and Amazon to some extent is this idea of them being these marketplace platforms. I'm just on the Zazzle site right now, and it's interesting that I'm just taking a look at a vintage 1972 t-shirt and it's indicated that this is a shirt that has been designed by so-and-so and it's made by Zazzle Apparel, but it's conceivable that they could be accepting product from Polyconcept, for instance, or from Suida, for instance, and giving Suida and Polyconcept real estate on the Zazzle platform and then allowing the consumer to go and buy that product. And I think that that platform approach has worked very, very well with Amazon. Polyconcept is also doing this marketplace concept, albeit for suppliers to sell to distributors. But I think that that's also another angle that is really interesting. So forget about Boundless for a second. If you look at what Zazzle is trying to do in terms of creating this marketplace that allows for suppliers and competitors and all these people to come to this one location and buy branded product, that's really interesting. And I don't think that you're seeing for imprint do that. Jim, I don't know whether you've got that idea of a marketplace concept either on your site. But I just I just think it's interesting. What Jim, do you have any comments about that? I think it's a, a very keen observation on your part. I have always believed in playing the numbers game across the board today, and what I mean by that is using Zazzle's platform like you're just talking about. And I gave you some stats on what Cafe Press's numbers were, you know, almost selling 900,000 orders in one quarter a couple years ago. That's crazy. Those numbers in a quarter, they're doing more transactions in a quarter than four imprints doing in a year and a quarter. Yeah, shocking. point is... The other aspect of this is the CEO's significant other, whether it be a, a wife or a husband. Who are the buyers that are buying all this stuff on the B2C site? And when they go home and talk to their significant other, who is that? I mean, yeah. you never know when all of a sudden something like that 1970s T-shirt that's really popular that, that all of a sudden touches that CEO's heart saying, that is the neatest thing I've ever seen. Where did you get that? Yep, yep. Oh, for, and all of a sudden, you've sure. got a referral business you're not even counting yet. Yeah. Well, and that, that, that happened. Uh, there's a large distributor in Canada called Accolade. They do about $60 million in sales. They were bought by Golftown. Golftown's a big Canadian retailer, and that was the idea there. That, and I think, it's been, I think it's been successful by all accounts, but the idea that you're the CEO, you walk in to go buy uh, uh, a sleeve of golf balls, and then all of a sudden, you can then go buy logo shirts through Accolade. I just pulled up here, and I wanted to make this comment just about the marketplace discussion that, that I uh, lobbed out there. If you go to Amazon.com right now, you can buy Port Authority products on Amazon. Not decorated, mind you, but you can buy them through the platform. The vendor is listed as Port Authority, and I'm sure that Sanmar does pretty decent blank business to the consumer via Amazon. And what's fascinating about that is that Amazon very much is a competitor 
to Sanmar just as much as they're a customer as well as a distribution platform. So if Zazzle takes that same approach and can apply the branded side to it, then maybe you've got the bigger suppliers or even smaller suppliers that say to heck with these distributors, I want to go and sell on Zazzle. They've got more distribution than Brand Fuel or Charity Gibson or Right Sleeve can give them. We're going to go to Zazzle. So I think that's the thing that I'm... I wouldn't say concerned, but that's the thing that I'm probably the most interested in in all of this. To your point there, we see explosive growth over the last 36 months where a young entrepreneur comes up with a retail idea of an item that they want to sell, yep. and they don't have the capital yet to start bringing containers in themselves. So yep. They go online and they find somebody like Inkhead to buy the product from. Yep get it decorated, get it to wherever their small distribution center is, and they're all using it. It, it, it. I mean, my gosh, it makes sense to use Amazon Fulfillment. We don't know of anybody that can compete against them. They're that robust in the way they can execute fulfillment. As far as cost goes, they blow everybody away. Yep. And so we see a lot of that retail business being channeled by especially younger entrepreneurs yep. onto the Amazon platform with single SKUs, and then two years later they got five products, then a year after that, they got eight or nine products, and they get to a point at some point where all of a sudden they want to take that leap of faith and go buy a container worth of merchandise instead of having to continue to buy and resell from you at, at higher costs. Yeah. I think if you're an entrepreneur today in the promotional products industry, why not go to Kickstarter? <laughs> why not go to Zazzle? Why not go to Amazon to build your business in a way that is much less risky from an investment perspective? You get feedback right away, and then you can build a business through this very exciting channel. I think it's completely the opposite to building a supplier like Leeds, for instance. And Leeds came of age in a very different age. And Leeds is a great business. But uh, I, I wonder whether the people who started Leeds would build Leeds the way that it's been built if they were starting in 2014. I don't know. Or, we can you, ask. Wonder if they, or you wonder if you feel like companies that are that big, which quite candidly in a roll-up really aren't that big, yep. that are considered to be that big in our industry that they feel like they've reached a place where they're trapped, yep. and so they're developing a retail site, and what's the way out? I mean, well, how can you start to generate revenue without compromising your primary model that got you where you're at? Yep. You know what? This is absolutely fascinating. I think that we need to pause only because, dear listener, I've got to go. <laughs> And so why don't we end it off here? I think we absolutely need to have another session. I think there's all sorts of things that we didn't get into. And, and Charity and Danny and Jim, your, your, your comments were absolutely fascinating. I think that we can really uncover something quite interesting in this. So this was quite fascinating. Thank you. Thank you very much to each and every one of you for your time. Thank you. I look forward to seeing everybody in Vegas. Absolutely. Charity, Danny, Jim, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you.